0: I hope you're all awake now. I see Lil' Red's got coffee in hand, so she's waking up. It's Monday. Oh, I know. I don't like Mondays either, but it is the 3rd of July in the year of our Lord, 2023. Normally, this would be sister on scripture, but... Today um, we're going to be celebrating independence and talking about that, discussing how the Bible and God is an integral component of how America was founded and the principles that I mean those are principles that we must reinstate um, not only in our government but in everyday life. Um, Let's, let's, let's pray real quick. We're going to open it up in prayer. So by Bob can find his keys and uh, also got a few things just to pray about but we're gonna go ahead and pray beforehand welcome father into this conversation Heavenly Father we just want to thank you for allowing us to be here today um, allowing us to discuss um, how our founding fathers use the Bible and especially Romans to, to get through and decide for two over two years to decide on before they even went to battle. And Father, we're in a battle now, a spiritual battle and a physical battle to save not only our children, but to save the country for, for not only them, but their children and for future generations to come. Father, we just we have a big weight on our shoulders, but we know with you um, if you're going to bring us to it, you're going to get us through it. And we know that we've got if we've got this conviction on our hearts and we know if we follow you, if we have faith in you, then you will declare us victorious in anything we do because we're doing it for your glory. Father Bob has lost his keys and we are lifting him up in prayer. That he can find them we know how easy it is to lose things when we're in a hurry Um, and when we're rushed father we know how we can get frantic anxious and and lose our train of thought so father we pray that he can recall with what he did with them if he's having any of those anxious feelings like guys sometimes do, and women we do as well. Just pray that those are relieved and that he finds the keys. Father, for everyone that's here listening um, live and both later on, Father, I just lift them in prayer to you. Um, We've got a heavy burden on us, like I said, Father, but we know that you're going to help us through that. Uh, Many of us have different challenges in our day-to-day life that that we need um, your help with father and and you tell us in many different scriptures but you tell us that if we pray and we ask for what we want what we need with a heart that's pure that you will give it to us so father we ask right now for you to give us the resources that we need and the blessings that we need to be able to move forward and all of these plans that you're giving us and the directions that you're sending us out into for those that are starting schools for children for those that are um, just sitting there and taking care of others taking care of family members or friends and and those that have just lost family members like Laura Lee, Father, we lift them in prayer to you. And we, we ask now for intercession that that you lift the hearts that are burdened and that you give them peace and comfort and solace and let them know that they're not alone because Christ is always with them. Father, we, just, we thank you for all the blessings that you've given us already. Um, just the fellowship that you brought together from people that of us don't even know each other, have never met in person to the ones of us that have met in person and have gotten to visit and create bonds. Father, we're just so blessed to have that and, and have this community of other believers, other Christ followers who just listen to you and, and pray to you and, and pray for one another. Just instantly when there's prayer needed father thank you for for the blessings that you've you've put with my family and uh just with my my children and my husband and my extended family as well and i just lift all of you up in prayer and just ask for you right now father just to bless them it's in jesus name that i ask and i pray amen all right, so Liz Bob is going to find those keys, and there's Daniel two twenty two, I believe that's the verse. Um, pray that too, um, and maybe he'll he'll find it'll come it'll find he'll find it. It, it works. Um, good morning to those of you that are new here, and those that aren't. It's good to see you guys here. So we're going to go ahead and jump in because today is going to be. A fairly lengthy show hopefully it doesn't go too long but there's a lot to discuss here there's a lot to unpack um, with our nation and what the flag means what are some of those flag codes why was the national anthem created where did it come from and so we're going to be discussing all of that so I hope you sit back and and have your coffee, your tea, your soda, whatever it may be and enjoy guys. We're going to start in the Founders Bible. Um it's Romans 116. Um if you don't have a Founders Bible, I suggest you get one. They're great. You can go to the foundersbible.com and I think Scott's got a code. Um it's it's one of the best codes on the market. It's um Bards. B-A-R-D-S. You can save some money on that. And they're they're wonderful Bibles. Um, they're great to pass on to family members or friends. Um, and, and it's got a lot of information in there. So we're going to start there. Um, it is NASB 1995. I still have not uh, got my Bible back. Uh, it was in a box at the church. And I don't know where it got placed. But during Bards Fest, it, um, it, it disappeared, so I'm going to have to get another one of those, because I really enjoyed it. Jesus declares, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father, who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father, who is in heaven. That comes from Matthew 10, 32 and 33. He further promises, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes to end his glory. Luke nine twenty six. The Apostle Paul therefore attests that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans ten nine. That's what I like to say is the ABCs. Acknowledge, believe, acknowledge that that Christ is Lord and Savior. Believe that He was arisen from the dead and confess with your mouth that He is is Lord. He is God, that God raised Him from the dead. And I got that from Pastor Benny Tate. uh, Just so I give credit where credit's due. He is at Rock Springs um, Church, and I've shared that. A lot of you have watched with me. Um, If you did not watch yesterday's sermon, it was very wonderful. There was a veteran on there that had such great wisdom and insight to offer. So I suggest you go watch it if you haven't. Um, Yeah, Brian, it's right over there by you. Um, You should be attending that, by the way. Um, Wonderful, wonderful church. Pastor Benny's been there over 30 years. He's been a preacher over 40. Um, And though I didn't agree with him on some things, he is pretty right on on many. So it's very relatable. The Apostle John reiterates that christian saints overcome satan because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony and they did not love their life in face with death revelation twelve eleven. clearly the importance of a public profession of personal faith in christ is a consistent theme of the new testament in the apostle paul's ringing declaration that i am not ashamed of the gospel romans one sixteen should guide the words and behavior of every Christian. Because the open acknowledgment of Christ has been a timeless indicator of one's personal Christian faith, such public professions were numerous among America's Founding Fathers. As one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, Robert Tree Payne declared, I am now convinced that it is my duty openly to profess him, lest he be ashamed to own me another day." But most citizens know little of such professions from the Founding Fathers. For critics today have wrongly convinced millions of Americans that they were a collective group of atheists, agnostics, and deists. Typical of such efforts is a national article wherein a professor declares, our founding presidents were not Christians. Another article, another article proclaims the signers of the Declaration were enemies of Christ. And the LA Times heralds America's unchristian beginnings, with an inset box declaring the founding fathers, most despite the preachings of our pious right, pious, sorry, pious right were deists who rejected the divinity of Jesus. Numerous others make the same charge. These absurd claims survive only because so few today actually take the time to read the Founding Fathers' own writings, and the Founders were prolific writers. For example, there are other, there are over 60 published volumes of the writings of George Washington, which include nearly 20,000 of his personal letters. Thomas Jefferson has nearly 70 volumes of published works, including some 19,000 private letters. In those private letters, um, there's some very interesting facts. Benjamin Franklin has over 40 volumes. John Adams and Alexander Hamilton both have 30. James Madison has nearly two dozen. John Jay, Thomas Paine, and Rufus King all have a dozen volumes, and other Founding Fathers also have numerous volumes of writings, including Samuel Adams, Benjamin Rush, John Witherspoon, Charles Carroll, George Mason, Patrick Henry, and many more. Perhaps one of the clearest examples of how prolific the founders were as writers is provided by John Quincy Adams. He began keeping a diary in 1779 when he was 11 years old and continued it for 68 years until his death in 1847. Although he gave more than 60 years of his life to uninterrupted public service, As a diplomat, U.S. Senator, Secretary of State, U.S. President, U.S. Representative, etc., for more than two decades, he never missed a single day's entry in his diary. And in addition to his more than 14,000 handwritten diary pages, he also penned a dozen volumes of memoirs as well as many books and pamphlets. Consequently, contrary to what critics today claim, it is easy to know what the founders believed about nearly every issue, including their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Consider some representative examples from signers of the Declaration of Independence showing that they were not ashamed of the gospel. Benjamin Rush says, My only hope of salvation is in the infinite transcendent love of god manifested to the world by the death of his son upon the cross nothing but his blood will wash away my sins acts twenty two sixteen. 16 i rely exclusively upon it come lord jesus come quickly revelation twenty two twenty. 20. charles carroll says on the mercy of my redeemer i rely for salvation and on his merits, not on the works I have done in obedience to his, his precepts, Ephesians 20, i sorry, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Samuel Adams says, I rely on the merits of Jesus Christ for a pardon of all my sins. Christ Jesus is the only savior of sinners in opposition to all false religions and every unconstituted right. He himself says, John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you are not reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. If you are not clothed with the spotless robe of his righteousness, you must forever per- perish. Witherspoon. Subscribe to the entire belief of the great and leading doctrines of the Christian religion, such as the being of God, universal, the universal defection and depravity of human nature, the divinity of the person, and the completeness of the redemption purchased by the blood save by the blessed Savior, the necessity of the operations of the divine spirit of divine faith accompanied with A Habitual Virtuous Life, Richard Stockton. I am, I am constrained to express my adoration of the Supreme Being, the author of my existence, in full belief of his providential goodness and his forgiving mercy revealed to the world through Jesus Christ, through whom I hope for never-ending happiness in a future state, Robert Tree Payne. It behooves you most seriously to reflect upon your past conduct, to repent of your evil deeds, Acts 8.22, to be incessant in prayers to the great and merciful God to forgive your manifold transgressions and sins, 1 Kings 8.50, to teach you to rely upon the merit and passion of a dear redeemer and thereby to avoid those, reg- those regions of sorrow those doleful shades where peace and rest can never dwell where even hope cannot enter ephesians 2 12 that was thomas mckean alexander hamilton says consider I'm sorry, this was um, a note. Consider also some representative declarations from the signers of the Constitution. Now, this is Alexander Hamilton. I have a tender reliance on the mercy of the Almighty through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, recall, like I said in prayer, um, for two years before war, the um, American Revolution even started, they went over Romans, two, uh, Romans for two years. John Dickinson says, Rendering thanks to my Creator, to Him, I resign myself, humbly confiding in His goodness and in His mercy through Jesus Christ for the events of eternity. God commands all men everywhere to repent. Matthew 3, 2, Mark 1, he also commands them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and has assured us that all who do repent and believe shall be saved Acts 3:19. In a way of free grace through the atonement, ask and ye shall receive John 16:24. Whoever will, let him come and take of the waters of life freely Revelation 2217. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. John 6.37, and that was Roger Sherman. To the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, be ascribed all honor and dominion forevermore. Gunning Bedford Adore Jehovah therefore as your God and your Judge. Love, fear, and serve Him as your Creator, Redeemer, and Sanctifier. Acquaint yourselves with Him in His Word and Holy Ordinances. William Samuel Johnson I have sometimes thought there could not be a stronger testimony than for men who occupy the most honorable and gainful departments and are rising in reputation and wealth publicly to declare the unsatisfactoriness by becoming fervent advocates in the cause of christ james madison and there are numerous similar declarations from from other significant founders Patrick Henry says, being a Christian is a character which I prize far above all this world has or can boast. Unto him who is the author and giver of all good, I render sincere and humble thanks for his manifold and unmerited blessings, and especially for our redemption and salvation by his beloved Son. Blessed be his holy name. John J., author of the Federalist Papers, original Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. And if you have not read the Federalist Papers, they're very good and give you a lot of insight into what went into the signing. There was a lot of times that um, they had to communicate in code and in secret in order to develop like kind of like what we're doing to develop a community and a fellowship in order to be able to defeat the Britons my soul I resign into the hands of my almighty creator whose tender mercies are all over his works humbly hoping from his unbounded mercy and benevolence through the merits of my blessed savior a remission of my sins george mason framer of the constitution father of the bill of rights and there are many additional examples more than 200 individuals can be considered founding fathers a founding father is someone who had a substantial substantial impact upon the birth development and establishment of america as an independent, self-governing nation. This would include the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, the two dozen or so prominent military generals in the Revolution, the 55 who framed the Constitution, and those in the first Congress who framed the Bill of Rights. While not every one of these 200 was an open and professing Christian the records are indisputable that the overwhelming majority definitely were. But many modern writers ignore the founders' own writings in order to declare just the opposite. Typical of this is the godless constitution written by two university professors who claim that our founding fathers were not religious, nor were the governing governing documents they penned. On what historical sources do these? Um, sorry, what historical sources do these professors rely to prove their godless claim? In the note on sources at the end of their book, these professors candidly admit we have dispensed with the usual scholarly apparatus of footnotes. There are no footnotes. There is no documentation. What a startling admission by two modern academic PhDs, but it is understandable since historical documents prove just the opposite of what they assert. One One excellent example affirming the overall Christian faith of the Founding Fathers was published following the death of Richard Henry Lee, a president of the Continental Congress and a signer of the Declaration of Independence. His papers and correspondence were passed on to his grandson, who compiled them into a two-volume work in 1825. After having studied so many handwritten letters from his grandfather and other patriots, like George Washington, Benjamin Rush, John Dickinson, etc., he described what he had seen in the Founders' writings. The wise and great men of those days were not ashamed publicly to confess the name of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in behalf of the people as their representatives and rulers, they acknowledged the sublime doctrine of his meditation. Sorry about that. My hand hit the play button. That was um, something that Richard Henry Lee, that's what his grandson had put together. Subsequent generations reached the same conclusion, including the U.S. Congress in 1854 when it declared, in this age, there could be no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the Republic and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. But like we were discussing last week about how, at one point, each of us has denied our religion to be in our faith in order to be what we considered a good Christian. Not that we thought our works could get us into heaven, but that we were trying to be accepting but Jesus wasn't I mean he was accepting to a point but there was there were lines and we have to have those lines clearly defined. Our our founding fathers had those lines defined. It's time for us to rise up and declare those lines and stand behind them firmly. A public testimony of personal faith in Christ has always been important for a Christian. Not only did many of America's founding fathers openly declare their faith in Christ, but they demonstrated it in their lives and character as well. Today's believers would do well to emulate their example both in the in word and deed and make clear that they too are not ashamed of the gospel in Romans 1:16. The next section that we're gonna read and discuss before we dive into the flag and how it came to be, how our national anthem also came to be is the Declaration of Independence. When in the the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. The sun of 1776 was, in the words of founder Thomas Paine, one of the times that tries men's souls. If you read the timeline of American history from the end of the Seven Years' War in 1763 to the Declaration of Independence, you'll see how severely the relationship of the American colonies with Great Britain had deteriorated. In 1764, to help offset its huge war debt and the expenses of the running, I'm sorry, and the expenses of running the colonies the English Parliament imposed the Sugar Act, which increased the duties on imported sugar, textiles, coffee, wines, and dyes. Now think about how many people were purchasing those things. Sugar and coffee both are very addictive things. Though so, coffee is good. Coffee makes the world go round. And coffee is actually good for the heart. The sugar is where there becomes a problem. Um, and sugar is very addictive. Um, textiles and dyes, they needed, well, they were using that. And I imagine the convenience of being able to purchase it versus being able to make it because we've seen how the convenience now has really corrupted our society. You know, we, we think that, oh, well, we've got you know, this at our fingertips, just like fast food restaurants. There used to be family meals. And at those family meals, there were discussions about what was going on in the family. But when the family dynamic was broken up, especially, you know, the 60s, the 70s, and, and even further, when they required more families to have both parents working out of the home, You know, they promoted women's independence, women's rights, women's freedoms, you know, and manipulated women because we are emotional beings, like we discussed, um, what, last Monday, I think. And so they, they started portraying us in this, or using us women to further their cause, which was demoralizing our men. It was... It was making our men weak because good times make for weak men and for weak people. Hard times make for strong men. Strong men make for good times. And that's where the cycle needs to be broken because after those good times, you can't just fall back and relax and get into a a pattern, a comfortable pattern. That's what happens in relationships as well. If you get in that comfortable pattern though it's good to be comfortable you can't have everything be so so routine to where you're not you know still going out on dates with your spouse or still you know like you were first dating or or when you were newlyweds you know you got to still keep that romance alive and just like our faith, that's why we've got to stay reading in scripture and reading in the word in order to grow our faith in Christ and in order to, to keep that armor polished. I like that, Mary. Growth is in the valley, not on the mountain. And Jewel was saying their sugar was different, no GMOs, and it was not consumed at every meal in most homes. It was an occasional treat. And no seed oils either. Yeah, I mean it was it was more pure, less processed. Um, but it still had addictive components, and they were still working on, you know, introducing it to where it would become um a a very popular commodity, just like tobacco. Tobacco was it had addictive properties after they introduced um more chemicals and stuff. It, it A whole lot of problems, whereas pure tobacco that was used by the natives, ceremonially or um, just occasionally, then they use tobacco for medicine. Um, We don't use it the same. We consume way too much sugar now. Because of the Sugar Act, it also reorganized American customs, the American Customs System to bring stricter enforcement of the British trade laws, establishing a court in Halifax, Nova Scotia, that had jurisdiction over all the colonies in trade matters. Then it passed the Currency Act that prohibit the, prohibited the colonists from issuing any legal tender paper money, which threatened to destabilize the colonial economy. Doesn't that sound familiar? That was followed in 1765 by the Stamp Act on all printed materials which was the first colonial tax to be paid directly to England, not their own local legislator. Next came the Quartering Act that required colonists to house and feed British troops. While protests and boycotts led to a reversal of the hated Stamp Act, Parliament proceeded to enact the Declaratory Act of 1766, stating they had the power to legislate all laws governing the colonies, which led to outbreaks of violence between British British soldiers and colonists. The Townshend Acts of 1767 imposed new colonial taxes on imports such as paper, tea, glass, lead, and paints, and was followed by another groundswell of protests, boycotts, and simmering violence. On March 5, 1770, the Boston Massacre occurred as a mob harassed British soldiers, who then fired their muskets point-blank into the crowd, killing five and injuring six. To protest the Tea Act of 1773, which gave the British East India Company a monopoly to trade tea in America, the colonists refused to pay any import duties on the tea on board the British ship Dartmouth, and on December 16th dumped all the tea into the Boston Harbor in what has been called the Boston Tea Party. An angry parliament retaliated with the first of the coercive or intolerable acts in 1774, placing Massachusetts under military rule and virtually ending any self-rule by the colonists. Many colonists saw this as a direct violation of the British Constitution and a threat to all their liberties. By the time the first Continental Congress met in September 1774, The American colonies had been forced to endure taxation without representation, searches and seizures without probable cause, the confiscation of firearms, and the long list of other legal offenses detailed in the declaration that Parliament had left unresolved. Yet, even when armed conflict and the Revolutionary War broke out on April 19, 1775, with the shot Heard around the world on Lexington Green in Massachusetts. Few colonists desired complete independence from Great Britain. Kind of like how the Egyptians or the people wanted to go back to Egypt because they saw it as good and easy. Most were merely fun. For their rights as subjects of the British Crown and the Continental Congress was still appealing directly to King George III for help in achieving a reconciliation with Britain. Sentiments changed over the course of the next year. However, as Britain's great military force attempted to crush the rebellion, in August 1775 the King declared that the American subjects were engaged in open and avowed rebellion. Then, in February 1776, Parliament passed the Prohibitory Act, which established a blockade of American ports and declared American ships to be enemy vessels. The result of all these actions is perhaps perhaps best reflected in the words spoken by Thomas Jefferson on November 29, 1775. Believe me, dear sir, there is not in the British Empire a man who more cordially, cordially loves a union with Great Britain better than I do. I'm sorry, union with Great Britain than I do. But by the God that made me, I will cease to exist before I yield to a connection on such terms as the British Parliament propose. And in this, I think I speak the sentiments of America. In October 1775, to quell the rebellion, King George III ordered the enlargement of the Royal Army and Navy. When this news reached America in January 1776, it propelled the cause for independence and led many colonists to abandon all hope of reconciliation. That same month, Thomas Paine published his pamphlet, Common Sense, which in simple, concise terms argued that independence was a natural right and the only possible course for the colonies. In its first few weeks in publication, Common Sense sold more than 150,000 copies and stimulated public debate and support for separation from Great Britain. In May, the Congress learned that the king had negotiated treaties with German states to hire mercenaries to fight in America. His actions convinced many Americans that he was now treating them as foreigners. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life as to them, shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. When the Second Continental Congress, which was essentially the government of the United States from 1775 to 1788, first met in May 1775, King George III had not replied to the petition for redress of grievances sent by the First Continental Congress. And there's a lot of, if you haven't read it, look, because there is a lot of grievances. Therefore, the Congress gradually took on the responsibilities of a national government and one by one began to cut the colonies' ties to Britain. In June 1775, It established a continental currency as well as the Continental Army appointing George Washington as its commander-in-chief and in July created a post office for the United Colonies. The privateering resolution passed in March 1776 allowed the colonists to arm vessels to patrol and defend against the enemies of these United Colonies. On April 6, 1776, American ports were opened to commerce with other nations, an action that cut the economic ties dictated by Parliament's Navigation Acts. By mid-May 1776, eight American colonies had decided they would support independence, but Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Delaware resisted. On May 15th, 1776, Congress passed a set of resolutions drafted by John Adams and author- that authorized the colonies to set up state governments independent of the crown, and several did. This was an emphatic act of sovereignty, and it, as such it necessitated, necessitated sorry about that, a formal declaration of independence from the crown. Four of the middle colonies voted against it, and the Maryland delegation walked out in protest. Also on May 15th, the Virginia Convention passed a resolution that the delegates appointed to represent this colony in General Congress be instructed to propose to that respectable body to declare the United Colonies free and independent states. In keeping with these instructions, Richard Henry Lee of Virginia presented his resolution for independence on June 7th. Resolved that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is, and ought to be, totally dissolved. There were still some stalwart delegates, however, who wished to pursue the path of reconciliation with Britain, and some threatened to leave Congress if the resolution was passed. On June 10th, Congress voted to postpone discussion of Lee's resolution for three weeks of recess. However, before Congress recessed, a committee of five was appointed to draft the Declaration of Independence. During those final weeks of June 1776, support for a Congressional Declaration of Independence was consolidated among the colonies. The Committee of Five, composed of John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, Robert R. Livingston, and Robert Sherman, instructed Jefferson to write the first draft. Jefferson's most immediate sources were his own draft of preamble of the Constitution of Virginia and George Mason's Virginia Declaration of Rights. And he presented his fair draft to Benjamin Franklin and John Adams for their consideration and amendments prior to the presentation of a rough draft. To the, uh, I'm sorry, rough draft to the committee. Then they presented this document to Congress on June 28th with the title A declaration by the representatives of the United States of America. In general, Congress assembled. For two days, Congress edited Jefferson's primary document, including the removal of Jefferson's assertion that Britain had forced slavery on the colonies in order to temper the document. So that's, you know, showing Britain was forcing slavery on the colonies. On July 2nd, 1776, after a great deal of wrangling and a powerful speech by John Adams, the resolution of independence was adopted with 12 affirmative votes and one abstention. New York officially approved it on July 9th, making it unanimous. With this, the colonies officially severed political ties with Great Britain on July 4th, the final wording of the Declaration of Independence was approved and sits the printer for publication. Then, at last, church bells rang, rang out over Philadelphia, declaring that the Declaration had been officially adopted. Writers were sent in all directions with the news, and in many places it was celebrated with shouts and processions. With the firing of guns and the ringing of bells. Before long the declaration was read to audiences and reprinted in newspapers across the 13 states. John Hancock, the president of the congress, was the first to sign the sheet of parchment measuring 24 and a quarter by 29 and three quarter inches. He was a bold signature centered below the text Legend has it that he signed distinctly so King George could read it without his spectacles. In accordance with prevailing custom, the other delegate signatures were arranged according to their geographic location. New Hampshire and the northernmost state, I'm sorry, New Hampshire, the northernmost state, began the list at the right below the text, and Georgia, the southernmost ended it. Eventually, 56 delegates signed, although all were not present on August 2nd. A few delegates who voted for adoption of the declaration signed. Non-signers included John Dickinson, who clung to the idea of reconciliation with Britain and later admitted it was a mistake, and Robert R. Livingston, who thought the declaration was premature. We, therefore, the of the United States of America, within General Congress assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do, in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these United Colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states. As Jefferson drafted it, the Declaration of Independence was divided into five sections, including an introduction, a preamble, a body divided into two sections, and a conclusion. It is without question the nation's most treasured symbol of liberty, declaring in unforgettable terms the conviction that resonated in the minds and hearts of the American people. The introduction states that the independence was unavoidable and that this document will declare the causes that made it necessary for the American colonies to declare independence. Kind of like what we're seeing now and, and need to do. I saw that Liz said that they're working on that or that we're working on that, which in general, I mean, we all should be because there's a lot of grievances. Then the preamble set out principles that were already recognized, be evident by most 18th century Englishmen, closing with a statement that a long train of abuses and usurpations evinces a design to reduce a people under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future, future security which is exactly what we should be doing and many are for the support of this declaration with the firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence we mutually pledge to each other our lives our fortunes and our sacred honor Liz says, find your state and county at www.national-assembly.net or hyphen. Um, National, N-A-T-I-O-N-A-L hyphen, assembly, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y dot net. Um, Let me, I want to screenshot that so that way I can post that link below the show as well. Thank you, Liz. That's awesome. The people understood the enormous cost of the step they were taking, just like what we are now. It's it's big, but we can do it. John Adams wrote to his wife regarding the meaning of his own signature on the document of freedom. I am well aware of the toil and blood and treasure that it will cost us to maintain this dec- I can see that the end is more than worth all the means, and that posterity will triumph in that day's transaction. He and his fellow signers of the Declaration were certain that that war would bring untold suffering and sacrifice at every level. Leaving empty chairs at family tables, widows, fatherless children... Grieving mothers and fathers. But now there was, as Adams notes, a prize worthy of giving their all. Liberty. And there would be no king to stand in the way of it. Now, I've got a little thing about the Star Spangled Banner before we dive into that history. Um, It is about... 11 minutes long, um, so it is a little lengthy. And in that time, I'm going to get something to drink because my mouth is a lot dry.
1: There was a lawyer once. His name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game. We stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song and they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore the colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners, and the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. And they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. And they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one basis. Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity. And he said, man, I've got news for you tonight. You're free. He said, tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies." He said "Be taken out of this boat out of this filth out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the Admiral came and he said, we have a slight problem. He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. And Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight, we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. He said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them a way out. And he said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. And we'll know that they've surrendered and you'll now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. And they said, how many ships? He said, hundreds. The ships got closer, Francis Scott Key went back up on top and he said, men, I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch. As twilight began to fall and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, Suddenly, the war fleet unleashed. He says the sound was deafening. There were so many guns that there were no reliefs. He said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear. He said suddenly the sky, although dark, was suddenly lit. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners saying was, tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling, every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb, and Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane." he said, what's the matter with them? He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? Francis Scott, he remembered what George Washington had said, he said, the thing that sets the American Christian up from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The admiral said, we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on the rampart to take that flag down. He said, we don't understand something. Our reconnaissance tells us that that flag has been hit directly again and again and again, and yet it's still flying. We don't understand that. But he said, now we're about to bring every gun for the next three hours to bear on that point. Francis Scott, Key said the barrage was unmerciful. All that he could hear was the men down below praying. The prayer. God keep that flag flying where we last saw it. Sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land but the rampart was tall enough. There stood the flag completely nondescript, in shreds. The flagpole itself was at a crazy angle, but the flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key went aboard and immediately went into Fort Henry to see what had happened. And what he'd found had happened was that that flagpole and that flag had suffered repetitious direct hits and when it had fallen. But men, fathers, who knew what it meant for that flag to be on the ground. Although knowing that all of the British guns were trained on it, walked over and held it up humanly until they died. Their bodies were removed, and others took their place. Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were patriots' bodies. He penned the song, Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Or the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet fly and wave? Or the land of the free and the home of the brave? The debt was demanded, the price it was paid.
2: Oh, say can you see, by the dawn's light, what so proudly we hailed? At the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the pale fight, o'er the ramparts we watched, were so gay. Gall- And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting. Bengal banner yet wave for the land of the free and the.
0: Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Um, I, that video is just, it's a wonderful video, and I'll post it, um, in knickknacks, and I'll put it in the description link. Um, there's some more information, so thank you guys for hanging with me this long. Um, it's a little bit longer, but bear with me. It's interesting, and I think you'll enjoy it. Um, We are still going to discuss the flag code and codes. But before we do that, I wanted to discuss where the flag came from. Um, and this is something that. Yeah, knickknacks is is on telegram. It's T M E slash n i k k i s N I K K I S N A K S. Um, that's the telegram link. And it's usually, I think it's below the description of the channel, but if not, I'll make sure it's in there. Tam said she'll send you a link. Thank you, Tam. Um, so the American flag that was that the star-spangled banner that Francis Scott Key saw, the garrison flag, um, we're gonna, I'm gonna do a little history lesson for you on that. Um, George Armstead, who was one of five brothers who served in the war of 1812, either in the regular army or in the militia. He was promoted to major of the third artillery regiment on March 3rd, 1813. And he distinguished himself at the capture of Fort George from the British near the mouth of the Niagara river in Canada on May 27, 1813. Well, he was um, serving as an artillery officer at Fort Niagara. He later carried the captured uh, British flag to President James Madison. Upon his arrival in Washington, Armstead was ordered to take command of Fort McHenry. When he arrived at Fort McHenry, located in the outer harbor of Baltimore, Maryland, Armstead ordered a flag so large that the British would have no difficulty seeing it from a distance. The flag, known as the Star Spangled Banner Flag, measured 42 foot by 30 foot and was made by Baltimore resident Mary Pickersgill, her daughter and seven seamstresses, and would later be memorialized or later, would later be memorialized by Francis Scott Key in the poem The Star Spangled Banner, which became the national anthem for America in, eight, in 1931. During the nearly 25-hour bombardment of Fort McHenry, commencing before dawn on September 13th until the morning of September 14th, 1814, Armstead alone knew the fort's magazine was not bomb-proof. When a shell crashed through the roof of the magazine but failed to explode, Armstead ordered the powder barrels cleared out and placed under the rear walls of the fort. Remarkably, only four men were killed when two shells smashed into the Fort Southwest Bastion despite a deadly rain of some 2,000 mortar shells that the British Bombardment Fleet fired at the fort. Because the Royal Navy proved unable to capture or reduce the fort in order to enter Baltimore Harbor to bombard the main American defense line east of the city, British Commander-in-Chief Vice Admiral Sir Alexander Cochrane wrote the British Army commander, Colonel Arthur Brooke, that it was up to him whether to decide to attack or withdraw. Brooke, who had taken over from Major General Robert Ross, who was mortally wounded just before the Battle of North Point on September 12, decided to withdraw. The Star-Spangled Banner, or the Great Garrison Flag, was the garrison flag that uh, flew over Fort McHenry in Baltimore harbor during the naval portion of the Battle of Baltimore during the War of 1812. It is on exhibit at the National Museum of American History, Smithsonian Institution. Seeing the flag flying over Fort McHenry on the morning of September 14, 1814, after the battle ended, Francis Scott Key was inspired to write the poem Defense of Fort Mahenry, uh, M- and it's M-Henry, or comma, sorry. The words were written, these words were written by Key and set to the tune of the Acrion in Heaven, a popular song at the time by John Straff- Stafford Smith. In 1931, the song became the national anthem of the United States. More broadly, a garrison flag is a U.S. Army term for an extra-large national flag that is flown on Sundays, holidays, and special occasion. The U.S. Navy term is holiday colors. Now, just some facts about the U.S. flag code. The flag should never be dipped to any person or thing unless it is the ensign responding to a salute from a ship of a foreign nation. This is sometimes misreported as a tradition that comes from the 1908 Summer Olympics in London, where countries were asked to dip their flag to King Edward VII. American team flag bearer Ralph Rose did not follow this protocol, and teammate Martin Sheridan is often though Ac- acrophile i can't say that one right quoted as proclaiming that this flag dips before no earthly king when a flag is so tattered that it no longer fits to serve as symbol of the united states it should be replaced in a dignified manner preferably by burning the veterans of foreign wars american legion boy scouts of america girl scouts of the usa trail life usa and the u.s military and some other organizations regularly conduct dignified flag retirement ceremonies. The flag should never be used as a receptacle for receiving, holding, carrying, or delivering anything. The flag should never touch anything physically beneath it. The flag should never be used as wearing apparel, bedding, or drapery. It should never be festooned, drawn back, nor up in folds, but always allowed to fall free. The flag should always be permitted to fall freely. An exception was made during the Apollo moon landings when the flag was hung from a vertical pole designed with an extensible horizontal bar allowing full display even in the absence of an atmosphere. The flag should never be carried flat or horizontally. It should never be used for advertising purposes in any manner whatsoever. The flag should never have placed upon it nor on any part of it, nor attached to any mark, insignia, letter, word, figure, design, picture, or drawing of any nature. The flag should never be upside down except to signal distress or great danger. When played vertically against the wall, the union should be to the observer's left. The flag code establishes advisory rules for displaying care of the national flag of the United States of America. It is chapter one of the title of the US code. It's for USC five. Although this is a US federal law, the code is not mandatory. It uses non-binding language like should and custom throughout and does not prescribe any penalties for failure to follow the guidelines. It was not intended to prescribe Conduct. It was written to codify various existing rules and customs, which is why, when you guys have seen, um, especially during the BLM Antifa Summer of Love, where they were burning the American flags, no penalties happened because um, there was a Protection Act um, that Congress passed. It was the Flag Protection Act of 1968 and amended in 1989. It's 18 U.S.C. 700 um it's since been struck down um by criminal statute which prohibits mutilating defacing defiling or burning the flag although it still remains part of the codified federal law it's not enforceable because the supreme court of the the united states found it unconstitutional in the united states versus eichmann and that's e-i-c-h-m-a-n if you guys want to look up that Um, Additionally, the public law, which includes the flag code um, published 105, it's page uh, 105 to 225, largely codified in Title 36 of the U.S. Code, addresses conduct when the U.S. National Anthem is being played while the flag is present. That law suggests civilians in attendance should face the flag at attention, standing upright with their hand over their heart. That is a little bit on the flag coats Gives you a little bit of history on the American flag um, The Star Spangled Banner Who created the flag, why it's so important And how our nation was in fact Founded on Christian values, not the Christian Judeo It's just Christian values I'm gonna close with this song They were there. It's a U.S. military tribute to all of you veterans um, that have served. uh, Thank you guys for everything. Um, It's not that you hated what's in front of you. You loved what was behind you and that freedom that has been given. Thank you, Mary, for sending me the... She sent me a person who heads up a retired flag project. That's awesome. Um, the story with George Armstead's very heartfelt to me because that's my ancestor. Um, and Brian, my cousin, um, is one of our ancestors. And I don't know about you guys. Every time I hear the national anthem, I cry. Um, just the pride that I have. And it's not, it's not being prideful, but it's. It's what was fought for, you know, the flag at Fort McHenry, at Fort Henry, they, there were many bodies that mounted up to keep that flag. You know, when he's talking about how the flag was at an angle, well, that flag was at an angle because the flagpole had already been bombed and soldiers were were holding it up. They were they were leaving their positions to keep that flag up because they were not going to succumb to the British. They were not gonna have British rule. And we need to have that same fire, that same fierce faith and proclaim that Christ is Lord, that with all things through him all things are possible and we need to be advocates and actually do what our forefathers told us we have got people that have been reduced to absolute despotism veterans which there's um, some housing now that i've found and and many other places that are helping vets but veterans that are being displaced that are homeless that are on the streets and we're sending billions to ukraine you know, I mean... We've got to stand up against this. We've got to band in solidarity. Um, tomorrow, I would love for you guys to join me um, whatever time you can. But I'm gonna be going probably around noon tomorrow to um, going through some of the schools and to the flagpoles. Murfet had um, suggested this last weekend. I love the idea. But we're gonna, I'm gonna be praying at the flagpoles of many of my county schools um, for the children that we can protect them, that God will protect them and use us to to help save them. They can't continue with the indoctrination in the schools. Um, there are many teachers that are fighting it and their voice has not been heard. And so I really think that we need to be proactive for these teachers, but also for the students to keep them protected from the transgender um, and from, you know, them manipulating their minds. We need to be advocates. We have something here in our schools where they actually bring church into the school and it's wonderful. It's called Good News Club. Um, It's wonderful. We still have prayer in school. Is it mandatory like it used to be? No, but there's still prayer there. Um, these small schools, they're doing mighty things. So while a lot of, while we should be homeschooling, we also need to fight for what's there. Um, thank you, AK 21. I appreciate that. Steve liked the new name too. Um, I think the flagpole prayer is something that could make an impact. We may be alone out there, but. God sees us. God knows we're there. I like that, Mary. She said, they've got to meet me at the flank here. Students pray in the morning before school. That's wonderful. I like that. Guys, I hope you enjoy this. It's a military tribute to the soldiers that were there. While we're sitting, you know, at home complaining or not appreciating what we have many have sacrificed everything and given their all many have have lost most of everything and i can't tell you how many births were missed um from soldiers being deployed so or how many deployment babies there are because of these soldiers being deployed Um, but that's just a a fun ending note have a very safe happy blessed uh independence day i am not going to be on tonight for knickknacks um i'll be spending the time with my husband he's working today but um we'll be uh, probably grilling we've got some boston butts in the smoker that started smoking yesterday so um We've got some things going on, but y'all be safe. Have a blessed holiday. Remember why we celebrate Independence Day. Mary says the correct name is C at the poll. Um, Thursday, I will be back at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We'll resume on scripture in Jeremiah. I think we're picking up 48. We did, I believe it was 44 through 47. Thursday. And I just realized today that I didn't upload it, but it's uploaded now. I'll get uploaded as soon as I can and include the links that I used today so that way you guys can have it. Have a blessed day and thank you all for being here.
2: bikes, jumping in lakes, feeling butterflies on our first dates, and stealing our old man's beer. We were here back home in the home of the brave, but the brave ain't home, they're in ocean away, doing their job and keeping us safe while we were here. They were there, they were there, we were here saying the Pledge of Allegiance, repeating those words not knowing their meaning, taking for granted all our freedoms in the land of the free, we were here fixing about an sat down, hot food on the plate, yeah, we were They were there fighting back on the front line. everything they got. Yeah, they were there. Some came
1: home in a pinewood box with those stars and stripes on top. They were there, fighting back
2: on the front lines, stepping up.